This is Illinois in Focus. For Illinois News Network, I'm Greg Bishop. Coming up, we'll get commentary in our Crosstalk segment from Illinois News Network publisher Chris Krug and editor Dan McCaleb about next week's election, what the outcome could mean for the state's taxpayers, the impact of the progressive income tax, and a study about minimum wage. But first, here are some of the top stories from the past week. An estimate of what Democratic frontrunner for Governor J.B. Pritzker has been promising on the campaign trail would require a progressive tax that would raise middle-class taxes, according to a new report. Cole Lauterbach has the story. Political columnist Rich Miller estimates that Pritzker's plan to balance the state's books, increase public retirement funding, along with the new projects, would require another $10.7 billion in new funding. Pritzker says he'll do this by enacting a progressive tax that lowers the tax burden on the middle class. Financial watchdog Wirepoints says this wish list would require a tax on household earnings over $150,000 of 13.6%. Wirepoints president Ted Dabrowski says that figure doesn't include a loss of tax money from people leaving the state. We said, okay, let's protect everybody below $150,000, both individuals and joint filers, but let's tax everybody over $150,000. And what we found is that the rate goes to 13.6%. That, that would be the highest in the nation and higher than California's 13.3%, which is the rate they only put on millionaires, people over a million. So this would be such an extreme tax hike that uh, it would just destroy uh, middle-income people and, and the state of Illinois. Dabrowski says multiple rates that start at much lower incomes and get much higher are the only way to make it work. It's the only way to make J.B. Pritzker's promises work. And, and have some kind of tax hike, progressive tax hike scenario is to bring the taxes all the way down. So what we tried to do is, is meet that, that promise of not taxing people that make uh, less than 50000 more. So we, we protected them. But after that, you know, the marginal rates to, to, to make it work is everybody above the 50000 to, to 75000 would be paying, you know, uh, 8.5%. And then the next bracket is 9% and 10%. And so what you find quickly is that the only way to make those promises work is to hit the middle class. And if you have two teachers, in Illinois, two teachers average about you know, $71,000 in, in income a year. So you take two teachers, um, they get punished severely uh, if they, you know, filing, filing jointly. Um, they get punished severely because the, the tax rate for a couple making 150000 becomes really high. The Institute on Taxation and Economic Policy says Illinois has one of the most regressive taxes in the nation, largely due to its flat income tax. The earliest a progressive tax could be enacted is 2021. I'm Cole Lauterbach. Meanwhile, in their final face-to-face meeting, the major party candidates for the open attorney general seat showed different priorities. During WTTW's televised forum this week, State Senator Kwame Raoul, the Democrat hoping to replace Lisa Madigan, who's retiring as attorney general, laid out his priorities he wants to protect the environment, health care, and students from predatory lenders. Attorney generals, not only in the state of Illinois, uh, but nationally, have taken a role as the, the last line of defense against Donald Trump's policies. Republican AG candidate Erica Harold said she'd do more to fight public corruption, and to do that, she advocated for the legislature to act. The General Assembly needs to empower the Attorney General with the ability to convene statewide grand juries and the ability to issue additional subpoenas because... You want the attorney general to be able to be more proactive in combating public corruption. Democratic gubernatorial candidate J.B. Pritzker's given Raul $3 million. Raul told the forum that he'll remain independent. Yeah, I have a record, and uh, if anybody can point to in my 14 years of service where uh, the, the flow of money has dictated how I act, I'd, I'd love to hear it. Governor Bruce Rauner's given Harold $2 million urged Harold, if she wins, to investigate Speaker Michael Madigan for corruption. I've made fighting public corruption a priority, 
And I've talked about that it's not about using the office to punish political opponents. That in and of itself would be an abuse of power. And that's something that I've re remained clear about the entire course of this campaign. Harold said she hasn't seen anything yet to warrant such an inquiry of Madigan, but that the legislature should make conflicts of interest rules more stringent. A lawsuit filed by a campaign worker against the Democratic Party of Illinois alleging harassment and retaliations proceeding forward. A judge denied the Democrats' motion to dismiss Elena Hampton's case Tuesday. Hampton's attorney, Shelley Colwin, said he appeared Wednesday in front of the judge for an update on the discovery process. Plaintiff has the burden of proof in the case, and, you know, uh, we have our version of events. We have to find out what their defenses are based on the emails and documents and letters and correspondence that they may have. It's also important to establish certain legal requirements uh, that they are the employer at payroll records, things of that nature. Colin said they're pursuing a joint employer theory, saying the Democratic Party of Illinois and the Friends of Michael J. Madigan organizations are one and the same. The case could be settled out of court, Colwyn said. But you never know if it goes all the way through all discovery and uh, pretrial filings by both sides to end the case early. Um, you know, you could be looking at another year from now before the case goes to trial. Messages seeking comment from Madigan's spokesman and from the Democratic Party of Illinois were not immediately returned. If the case does proceed to trial and goes Hampton's way, Colvin said Hampton could be due compensatory damages. Status hearing on that case set for January. In two recent studies of public pay and retirement benefits show tens of thousands of individuals making six figures or more in all levels of government dwarfing statistics from larger states. Taxpayers United of America's annual pension report shows nearly 19,500 Illinois government retirees getting a pension of $100,000 or more. It's 2,500 more than last year. Taxpayers United of America founder Jim Tobin said that's just the tip of the iceberg. The pensions are just out of line. We've got one guy here who's getting an annual pension of almost $600,000 a year, and he'll get $22 million if he lives to be 85. It's ridiculous. OpenTheBooks.com founder Adam Andrzejewski said Illinois is worse than more populated Texas, which has 7,300 educators in the so-called $100,000 club. Just on salaries, Illinois has nearly 20,000, so it's three times worse, yet Texas has twice the population. Andrzejewski's research shows 94,000 current public employees or pensioners making $100,000 or more a year and costing taxpayers $12 billion. Tobin said that's not fair to taxpayers. We have to work into our 60s and 70s, so these people can retire in their 50s and 60s and on these ridiculous, exorbitant pensions, which are nothing less than legalized theft. Andrzejewski said voters need some accountability. People need to raise their voice. They need to give public comment. They need to start holding their elected officials accountable for tax and spend decisions. Andrzejewski said exorbitant pay and benefits is unsustainable and takes resources from other government services. Meanwhile, the Illinois Teachers Retirement System says it'll need 10% more from taxpayers in the state's next budget, or more than $350 million. The current budget included more than $4.3 billion for TRS. Next year, the ask could be north of $4.8 billion. TRS has the highest funded levels of the state's five pension systems at 40%, and despite a booming stock market, Executive Director Dick Ingram said investment returns will never be enough to make up for the unfunded liability created by years of underfunding. You know, that's such a deep hole of underfunding that there's no way that you can invest your way out of it. Ingram said the benefits aren't too rich because teachers don't get Social Security. He said the problem is the lack of funding discipline from the state. You know, we've never, ever funded them on an actuarial basis. So, uh, you know, over time, 
you know, you can't be surprised that, that there is this shortfall. State Representative Jeannie Ives said the benefits are too expensive, having increased more than a thousand percent in the past 30 years. And people have this idea in their mind that eventually this stuff can be paid back. It, we're past that curve. There is no way. You cannot tax people enough to pay these pensions. So there will be a day of reckoning. I've said the funds are bankrupt. And we just simply can't afford it. They continue to underfund these pensions because the benefit levels are way too high. She said lawmakers should get all new hires out of pensions and into self-managed plans, and voters should change the state constitution to rework promised pension benefits. Those are the top stories of the week. Find more online at ilnews.org. Coming up, for Illinois in Focus, commentary from INN publisher Chris Krug and editor Dan McCaleb. This is Illinois in Focus. For Illinois News Network, I'm Greg Bishop. And welcome back. This is Chris Krug, publisher of the Illinois News Network. I'm going to be joined for our crosstalk segment with Dan McCaleb, our executive editor at INN. Dan, we got a full slate of things to talk about today, but I think we should really spend a little bit more time with the election. Of course, early voting has is, is, uh, been engaged now for uh, the better part of uh, 10 days, and we are um, starting to see some pretty good turnout. Um, election night, of course, is is, is November sixth, so just a, just a few days away from our taping. And um, let's jump right into it. So, the uh, the election itself. I mean, obviously, it's a gubernatorial year. You know, the there's really if if you are not aware of the fact that uh, that uh, Governor Bruce Rauner, the re- incumbent Republican. Uh, is up against J.B. Pritzker, uh, the uh, Democrat from Chicago. Uh, you've been living under a rock. Um, and we'll absolutely talk about that. But let's talk about some of the other things that are that are on tap in this election and what's what's going on. So, so Dan, let me let me flip it to you. What, what's on the ballot? And uh, let's uh, let's work our way through what should be an interesting election night. Sure, Chris. How you doing? I'm great. A uh, whole lot of things on the ballot uh, on Tuesday. Um, what makes this uh, an especially important um, election is that uh, the, U- the 2020 U.S. Census is upcoming and the party in control will get to redraw the legislative districts. Um, House Speaker Mike Madigan, who was unopposed on the ballot on Tuesday, um, he's drawn uh, uh, the legislative boundaries two out of the last three times that they've been up, which of course happens after the U.S. Census every 10 years. And um, he's been able to give the Democratic Party uh, significant advantages by gerrymandering the districts to Democrats' advantage. So anyway, um, in addition to governor, as you mentioned, uh, all uh, state house districts are up. Of course, uh, in the Senate, Democrats have a supermajority right now all signs are indicating that they're going to be able to hold on to that supermajority. The House has a simple majority, which means um, if Republican Governor Bruce Rauner has been able to veto legislate, uh, legislation, um, the House, without Republicans, has not been able to override those vetoes. 
there are also many state Senate seats up on the ballot. Uh, some other uh, statewide uh, office holders, Attorney General, Secretary of State, Comptroller, and Treasurer, they're all on the ballots. Uh, in addition to local ra county races, um, uh, depending on where you live, you have some county board races up and some countywide offices, for example, um, sheriff and, and treasurer and, and clerk and some other ones. In very hyper-local races, there's also a number of referendums uh, on the ballot, some uh, that seek to increase uh, local residents' taxes. So um, yeah, very important election, uh, important that um, voters, one, get themselves educated, and two, either get to the polls on Tuesday, Election Day, or, as you mentioned, um, uh, through early voting. So why don't we talk uh, about the governor's race? Uh, you mentioned uh, incumbent Republican Governor Bruce Rauner is facing uh, a big challenge. In fact, he's behind in, in, in pretty much every poll by double digits um, against billionaire J.B. Pritzker. Pritzker and Rauner have dumped record num um, amounts of their own money into this campaign. I think if uh, nothing else, voters will be happy to see those campaign ads disappear. Um, what's your take on this race, Chris? It's been interesting. I mean, you know, with regard to the amount of money that's been spent on this race, the amount of time that uh, these two candidates have been sparring with each other, you know, I've wondered if there's been like some level of voter fatigue. And I also wondered out loud earlier today in a conversation I was having with somebody, if um, the early voting numbers that we're seeing, which seem to be higher than normal, are simply the response of the public to vote and get this over with, uh, just to you know to be done with the bombardment of uh, messaging from from both sides. I'm as I look at this analytically and to think about sort of a what you know what lies ahead. I I can't help but go back to 2016 and the Trump Clinton showdown and the polls and the numbers from that particular race and how. Nobody gave Trump a chance, and and the the media itself, uh, overall, you know, a, across the United States, certainly led by, you know, the the nationals and multinationals that uh, that dominate the the media scene, you know, wrote Trump off. I'm just curious to see come Tuesday night, once all votes are counted, whether or not there is a group of people within the state of Illinois who are going to step up and vote for Rauner and make this a closer contest than what, you know, I think anybody is talking about. And, and I, Dan, I don't know if you have a take on that, if you've got a sense on that. I'm guessing that if that does happen, it's going to be the suburbs around Chicago and probably downstate voters that would make any kind of a difference uh, against the polling numbers that we're seeing right now. So let's talk a little bit more about the election and from the standpoint of ramifications. And, and if, the, um, if the gubernatorial polling stands up and uh, J.B. Pritzker comes through and is, and is elected governor of Illinois, he has been saying, uh, you know, for months, and it's, it's part of his, certainly is part of his platform, is that he's going to work hard to get uh, Illinois into a progressive tax plan. Um, Wire points in uh, a terrific publication that that you know that I just like to refer to for analysis, deep dive into really anything statistical. But boy, they're strong on 
on their understanding of tax matters, and they're really, really strong on their understanding of of uh, municipal bonding issues and whatnot. But they did a deep dive into the actual sort of uh, costs of what a progressive tax would look like. First of all, Dan, for the benefit of people who are really just maybe not all that engaged in in what's going on with state government, uh, turning us on and trying to get some sort of perspective, if Pritzker is successful in this election, goes forward and and is able to make a progressive tax plan uh, pass its way through um, to into law, uh, when would that take place and, and, and what are the mechanics of that? And then let's talk a little bit about some of the data points that, uh, that the Wirepoint story uh, investigated in its piece. Well, because Illinois state constitution um, uh, requires a flat tax, uh, changing to a progressive tax would mean we'd need to change the state constitution. So what would need to happen is a supermajority of both chambers of the uh, legislature would need to vote to put an item, a constitutional amendment on the ballot um, to ask voters if they want to change uh, the Constitution to allow for a progressive tax, meaning a tax that has escalating rates based on how much you make, what, what your salary is, what your family income is. So it would, couldn't be put to the ballot be, to voters um, until 2020. And then if more than 60% of voters uh, approve of uh, changing the Constitution to allow for a, a, a progressive tax, then it goes back, gets picked back to the legislatures who then determine their rates. The problem right now is, yes, Pritzker says he wants progressive tax. Yes, most Democrats say they want a progressive tax. They're not talking about what the rates are, what the salary income levels are for those rates. Pritzker promises that it would be uh, a tax increase on uh, millionaires only and that the middle class could possibly see a, a, a tax cut. But the folks at WirePoints um, essentially disproved that, the, the possibility of that, um, because of they, they analyzed how much Pritzker wants to spend in terms of education funding increases and incre increasing in, in road construction and things like that. And, and, and well, there's actually several studies out there. Uh, the study that shows the lowest increasing spending based on Pritzker's priorities would increase spending by $10.7 billion a year. There are other estimates that have it as high as $18 billion a year. Well, the, the folks at WirePoints took this progressive tax idea and pretty much proved that it's impossible, it would be impossible to only tax millionaires, uh, increase taxes on millionaires uh, uh, to pay for Pritzker's additional spending. Dan, one last thing I wanted to talk about today was uh, minimum wage in Illinois. Uh, here at home, uh, there's been some discussion about raising the minimum wage to $15 an hour. Of course, you know Seattle was the first city in the U.S. that that mandated $15 an hour uh, as a minimum wage, and the consequences of that, per the University of Washington study, uh, ultimately said that uh, it hurt workers because they simply got fewer hours, fewer opportunities. That business owners that employed people at minimum wage simply used them less. Uh, the Illinois Economic Policy Institute report came out and said that this would be a good thing for Illinois and it would boost the uh, incomes for, they're saying, 330,000 workers and would not have a discernible impact on the unemployment rate in Illinois. Uh, this doesn't seem right, does it? 
Yeah, well, there's plenty of flaws with the Illinois Economic Policy Institute study. One thing they said is that there's been no, nothing but positives since Chicago's uh, minimum wage jumped to twelve thousand, or excuse me, twelve dollars an hour. But that just happened you know, January 1st of this year. There's not enough data <laughs> to support that. Um, the, the second thing uh, is that, yeah, this has already happened in Seattle, and there is enough data, and studies have shown that it's, it's actually led to significant job losses, significant hour reductions, and, it's, and it hurts the people that it, the minimum wage spikes are supposed meant to help. Lower-income workers, lower-skilled workers, younger workers, uh, College kids who are trying to pay for college, they're losing hours, they're losing jobs because businesses you know, have to cap expenses. Um, if, if they want to keep earning what you know, profits, small profits or whatever, they can only have so much expenses. So when government steps in and mandates a minimum wage is essentially an unfunded regulation, mandates minimum wage increases, increases. Um, but these businesses have to take a look at their operations and and right the ship. And what that's meant in Seattle and other places is cutting hours, cutting jobs. For business owners that are trying to 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 make enough profit to stay in business, and I'm I'm specifically talking about small and mid-sized businesses. And I, I think about even like businesses in the franchising space, you know, where there are opportunities for people who don't have experience in the workforce to get experience and to get a start. I just don't see how mandating an increase to this level, applying it statewide where, you know, our, our state minimum wage is, is, you know, in the, in the 875 range of, or excuse me, 825 range, how you could sustain that and 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 make that work within your within your business? I mean, in some cases, almost literally doubling uh, the cost of an associate on the line, someone who's making a sandwich or someone who's mopping a floor or or doing what amounts to be entry level work. Uh, good point. What might be sustainable, and I don't think it even would be. What, but what might be sustainable in Chicago? You can't say for certain that it's going to be sustainable uh, everywhere else. Um, uh, our story at IllinoisILnews.org uh, this week uh, showed that if you increased the minimum wage to $15 an hour statewide, that would be higher than the median income in many downstate communities. It's just, it absolutely would not be sustainable downstate. I would argue that it's not sustainable in Chicago too, but certainly not downstate. Dan, I appreciate the time today. It was great to talk with you. Let's get back to Illinois in focus. Next week, we'll bring you the latest election news with live coverage on election night Tuesday. What will the outcome mean for control of Congress and whether Illinois is back to a one-party rural state? Or if Republicans will maintain control of the governor's office and possibly pick up the attorney general's office? There'll be a lot of fallout from the election and we'll bring you all the coverage that you need and more with the Illinois News Network. This has been Illinois in Focus. Find more stories. This has been Illinois in Focus. Find more stories and commentary online at ilnews.org. For Illinois News Network, I'm Greg Bishop.